Welcome, welcome to City Point Church. I love saying that this past week um, popped up on our Facebook memory exactly two years ago, our first ever interest meeting for City Point Church. And so I, I, I was blown away at what, I mean, it was just a reminder of what the Lord has done and what he's still doing. I think we got some pictures of our first, y'all might have to pull those down just a little bit so you can see, but we were in our basement. I was playing the keys. Jason was playing the guitar and using a pedal to make a kit drum, which is so ghetto. And then we had one singer and we were in our basement. <laughs> there was like 10 people there and, uh, and half of us were our family. So one of them was my mom who doesn't even live here. So, but we knew after that day that the Lord was gonna be doing something special. We just couldn't imagine what he was doing. So last week I started my message off telling you how many J's, since we're in the names of God, how many J's are in my family, okay? And I named off a bunch and it was nonsense. It had nothing to do with my message. But when I went home, I realized that I missed six cousins with J names. And I felt really bad. And I thought, you know, I know they don't usually listen to my messages, but if their mom or someone ever does, I don't want them to feel left out. So here is John, Jason, Jackson, JC, and Joseph, okay? Just so y'all know. My grandmother's name was June, but she's passed. I don't know if that counts or not. So that is nonsense and has no spiritual purpose in tonight's message. But thank you, thank you for listening and, and loving my family with all the J names. So I've been reading in the book of Ezekiel recently, and the book starts with this really cool visions that God has given Ezekiel of, of the heavenly realm. And it's awesome. It's just so vivid, and he's like giving these like um, descriptions of these uh, heavenly beings and like all that's with them and what they're doing and it, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it's just amazing. And I remember praying to God like, I I want I would love to see that. That would be amazing if you could just show me, give me a vision like that. And then I immediately like took it back because the burden that comes with being a prophet of God is uh, terrible. So, um, I don't know if y'all realize this, but if you read in the Bible, most all prophets were hated by their culture, like 100%. Um, they were either murdered or, th or threatened um, to, be, to be murdered. Um, there's even, you know, uh, uh, one guy, King Ahab in, in 2 Kings, he's funny because He's wanting to go off to war. He's the king of Israel, and he asked the king of Judah to go with him. And the king of Judah was like, well, maybe we should, you know, consult a prophet. And he brings in 400 prophets, and they all tell him what he wants to hear because they were false. And then the king of Judah goes, well, is there like, like a prophet of the eternal, which was their God, that could speak? And the king was like, yeah, there is, but he never says anything I want to hear. He always is speaking against me. I don't want to hear it. And uh, the guy comes, and, and, you know, the king of Judah was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to go to war with you, I really would like to talk to this guy. And he comes in, 
And he tells them, hey, you could go to war, but King Ahab, you're, you're going to die. And he's like, see, I told you, he always says negative things to me. I don't like him. Well, it turns out Ahab did die. <laughs> I mean, he went anyways. He even tried to disguise himself and still died. Still died. By a random arrow, read it. A random arrow hit him in a random spot in his armor and, and, he, and he died. And so maybe, just maybe, instead of hating the negativity that he felt and not having itching ears to hear what he wanted to hear, but actually hear what God was saying to him, uh, maybe he would have lived. Uh, he was an evil man, so I'm kind of glad that he didn't. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Always, not always speaking what God has to say is what people want to hear. Especially if you're speaking against the culture that you live in. Because that upsets people. And that's what uh, a lot of prophets are people who God sends to speak. Now, if you know anything about me, I am not one to like controversial conversations. At all. I feel like Jason lives for them. I hate them. I just want to have a good time. Anytime a conversation gets controversial and it's not necessary, not saying like I don't stand up for my faith or anything, but it's just an unnecessary controversial conversation, I literally will leave. Or I'll text Jason and be like, really? Can you just change the subject? Like, seriously, I don't want to talk about this. Well, on Tuesday, uh, I came to Jason and I said, I feel like the Lord has given me a word. And I don't want to preach it because it's controversial. <laughs> and I said, and I t he said, well, what is it? And I told him, he was like, ooh, can I preach with you? And I was like, do you really? He's like tagging. I was like, how about you come in the end and you can give um, your, your two cents. But I heard a pastor once say, and this is what really made me go, okay, God, I'm your voice. I want to say what you want to say. I want to be here for you. And so I remembered a pastor once said, if you, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything. And so uh, I'm challenging us today to a call to stand, a call to stand. Uh, the name of God that we're talking about today is El HaKadosh, El HaKadosh, which means the holy God. Yeah, there it is. This name is introduced and used over 25 times in the book of Isaiah, it's translated as the Holy God or the Holy One. Or you may see Kadosh Israel, which is the Holy One of Israel. Kadosh is translated as holy, but basically it means sacred or consecrated or purified or to be set apart, okay? To be separated for a special purpose. And basically what it's saying is God is holy, He is sacred. And he has been set apart from his creation. He is not one and the same with it, but he is set apart as a holy God. All right? And so in Isaiah 6, 3, you can read, and he's saying he's got this vision. Isaiah, also a prophet of God, also not liked by people, okay? So uh, good thing I'm going on vacation this week, so y'all got time to cool off and maybe like me next week. So anyway, so, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. But um, he's given this vision, and he sees the throne of the Lord. He sees the angels around, and they're saying, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
And the reason they saying this three times is an emphasis on the word. Holy, kadosh, emphasis on because that is the character of God. That is what represents God himself. And it says that they're around the throne and they're constantly on repeat saying this. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is the Lord God Almighty. And so to me, that's important, right? I mean, if the angels around the throne who get to be in his presence every day are saying it, it's important, okay? And so, so God is a holy God, and he deserves to be revered and respected as holy. He does. Um, I know that he loves us, and a lot of times we can get real familiar with him in that way because he does love us and he's like a father, Abba, and he's all these things to us, but all in all, he is a holy God. I love Proverbs 9, 10 says this. It says, reverence or fear, and some translations will say fear, but it's not like the, oh God, you know. It's more of like a reverence, fear. You know, it's like when you fear someone who's highly respected, in the community, it's, you don't think they're going to beat you. You just have like this awe of them. And so it says, reverence or fear for the eternal, the one true God, is the beginning of wisdom. What? You want to be wise? Let's do it. All right. True knowledge of the Holy One, El HaKadosh, is the start of understanding. So what does it mean to reverence the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I'm glad that you asked because uh, Solomon answers that in Proverbs 18, thir 13, or 8, 13. He says, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. That word that's translated perverse also can be translated as fraud. So it's like liars, right? Like people who are fake. If you, this is a different translation. This is the voice. It says, if you respect the eternal, you will grow to despise evil. I despise wretched, vile talk, and ways of pride and arrogance. So what's crazy here is what's, who's speaking this is in Proverbs, they refer to her as Lady Wisdom. They're just talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's all it is. Lady Wisdom is the Holy Spirit. If you fear the Lord, it means that you must hate evil. Not hate people. Hate evil. But what's really cool is we, God's people, have been set apart as kadosh. We are holy. It says, the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. Get this. In Ephesians, I have so much scripture. I hope y'all, this will be your Bible reading for the whole week. All right. God chose us. This is Ephesians. God chose us to be in relationship with him even before he laid out the plans for this world. He wanted us to live holy lives, characterized by love, free from sin, and blameless before him. 
And then Peter says this. So this isn't, the, this isn't like, I just want to like clarify. This isn't talking about your salvation, of doing certain works to earn your salvation. It's not talking about that. Jesus died on the cross, and we stand before God already with the righteousness of Christ. But he's saying, you have now that I am holy, and you are now holy as well. I love what Peter says. And he says this, so get yourselves ready. This is First Peter. Prepare your minds to act. Control yourselves. And look forward in hope as you focus on the grace that comes when Jesus the anointed returns and is completely revealed to you. Be like obedient children as you have put aside the desires you used to pursue when you didn't know any better. Since the one who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. He didn't say be perfect in all you do. This is a call for something else, so I don't want y'all to get confused. For the scriptures say you are holy, for I am, or you, to be, you are to be holy, for I am holy. If you called on the Father who judges everyone without partiality according to their actions, then you should, listen to this, live in reverence and all while you live out your days in exile or temporary residence. And he's talking about here on earth. Your temporary residence in, on earth. Live holy as he is holy. And live in reverence and in all, all of all your days here on earth. We have been set apart. We have been consecrated. We've been set apart from our culture and from our world. The Bible says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. This is where everybody's going to start sitting on pins and needles. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is how the voice puts it. It says, do not allow this world to mold you in its own image. Whose image were you made in? God's image. And it says, do not let the world mold you in its image. Instead, be transformed from the inside out by renewing your mind. And as a result, you will be able to discern what God's will and whatever God finds good and pleasing and complete. Now, this is, this is a call. Y'all, like I said, I don't like controversial talks. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak out against our culture. And this is why. Let me show you this. In Leviticus 8.10... Leviticus 8, 10, and 11. I'm going to take y'all back old school for a minute and pull it back new school. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and then all its utensils. I need y'all to remember that. And the basin which it stand to consecrate them. 
So basically what Moses did is he went into uh, the, the temple, into the altar, and the Lord told him to anoint the altar and to anoint its utensils and its stand and consecrate them and make them holy. They're just things. They didn't do anything to deserve this holiness. It wasn't because they were great, but God said it, and so it was. God said these things, these articles were holy, and so therefore they are holy, right? But then something happens in the book of Daniel, all right? Follow me here. Don't, don't let me lose you. In Daniel 1, something happens. God is, uh, he's been frustrated with his people because they have conformed to the behaviors of their culture. And so he allows, doesn't make him do it, but he kind of steps back and he allows his people to just go on with what they're doing. And in, as a result, the king of Babylon invades them. King Nebuchadnezzar. He is awesome, but he's not awesome, okay? Like, or whatever. But listen to what happened. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the, sorry, let me slow that part down, to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon, and he placed them in the treasure house of his God. So these objects that they took were objects from the altar that in Leviticus, Moses had anointed because God said, those are holy. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar takes these items, and he puts them in a treasury and leaves them there. He doesn't do anything with them. And through that time, man, oh, Nebuchadnezzar was amazing. He conquered everyone. Actually, if you read in Ezekiel, God actually uses Nebuchadnezzar to take out, like, all the people. Egypt, gone. Tyre, gone. Sidon, gone. All these people, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he allows it. He steps back and says, go for it, you know. And he, and he allows Nebuchadnezzar to conquer. And so Babylon is huge. It is the city. It is the world-domineering city, okay? I can think of a place now where I'm proud to be who is also a world-dominating area, and I'm proud of it. I'm not speaking against that. I think America is great. I've never known them not to be great. Because all the times that I've ever been born, we were, we've always been great. You know, our military is great. If people need help, they call us because we're great, right? It's always good to be on the winning side, right? So this happens, though. Nebuchadnezzar passes on. His son takes over, but I don't know even where he is in this story. Because it's his grandson is like acting king and ruler at the time. And his name is Belshazzar. And get this. Belshazzar, this is in Daniel 5, gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. 
they would party, right? While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so these items that in Leviticus, God set apart as holy, who Nebuchadnezzar took, wasn't using them though, just had them, just took them because he could. But now Belshazzar and his pride and his arrogance says, bring out those things. He wanted them so that, and it says this in verse 2, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine, and with these holy goblets, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. They took that which was holy, and they used it to toast unholy gods. And the Lord says, my church is set apart and my people are set apart to be holy. But they are being used to toast unholy gods. My church that I set apart currently in this culture is being used to toast and to praise and uplift unholiness. And his people, not all, I want to balance myself. See, the thing is, is I'll just go ahead and read it. What happened to Belshazzar and this great city, once he took God's holy, set-apart goblets and toasted unholy gods with it, Suddenly the fingers of a hand, human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in a royal place. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was frightened and his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. It was the Lord who said, you've been measured, you've been weighed, and you've been found wanting. That night, Babylon fell. That night, Babylon has no longer ever been great. Because they thought that it was okay to think that those things that God said was holy was capable to be used to toast unholy things. Our culture today has totally has totally twisted and distorted and manipulated God's word. 
They twisted and they distorted and they manipulated God's people. And they're using it and they're using us. I say us because we're all God's people. They're using us to conform to their image. And we are not made in their image. We're made in God's image. And they do this with this. They use God's words against his people. You are called to love. The Bible says if you don't know, if you don't love, then you don't, you don't know God because God is love. So if you, if you stand against anything that I desire or culture says is okay, then you don't love. And they're manipulating God's people. But the thing is, if someone doesn't know God, they actually don't know what real love is. Because I'm sorry, love is not manipulation. Guess what? Love is not letting you just do whatever you want to when you know it's harmful. That's not love. That's self-love because I don't want to be uncomfortable. And I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't ever at all want to be uncomfortable. But when we take a stand for things that we know are truth and we know are right, our culture tells us that we are somehow uh, not caring enough. That we don't love enough. Heaven forbid you want to you want to uh, save unborn babies. Heaven forbid that the scripture actually says there's six things that God hates. Oh, actually seven He adores, and one of those is is killing innocent blood. Actually, in First Corinthians, it actually spells out love for us. Oh, poor Paul in the Corinthians. That church was whacked out and probably is what gave him gray hair. Okay? Planting a church in Corinthians was probably the boldest thing Paul could do. If you wanted to learn about sex, prostitution, orgies, anything like that, anything pagan, you went to that area. And he planted a church. And those people drove him nuts. Read it. Before, actually, there's four letters he wrote to that church, but we only know of two. One of them is actually titled, it's not in the scriptures, the letter of tears. Because he went there to try to help them, and I don't know what went down, but it made it worse. Right? I don't even know why I'm sharing this, okay? It's not a part of my message. It's important. Maybe just to know that that culture was messed up. And they wanted this newfound thing that the Messiah offered, but they wanted it in their way. They wanted this anointed and this Messiah that has come to save them, but only do it on their terms and how they felt it should go. And so Paul writes out, and he kind of goes, you know, he goes based on this, like God is love, and he writes out what this love is, right? And he says this in 1 Corinthians, he says, love does not celebrate injustice. 
if you love something and you have the spirit of love in you, then you do not celebrate injustice. So you don't celebrate when children are pulled into sex slavery. You don't celebrate when people on a daily basis are hurt and confused and brought into new sexual perversion like sex slavery. I am not a political person. I don't like talking about it. I actually hate hearing about it because it makes me mad. But they are using our love to twist things so that evil actually can come through. They say, why would you vote for someone who wants to build a wall around our nation? Don't you care about all these other people? Well, yeah, I care about them. I mean, man, America, there's so much dreams in America. I've seen people who have come over and they go, wow, what America has. Yeah, it's great. I would love for them to have that life. That, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Hey, did you know that America is one of the number one most statistics for sex slavery? And because we don't have a wall, we don't stop those children who are being brought into our country. Oh, don't you wish they had someone stopping the person bringing them. Don't you wish it. I wish it because I wish to protect them. But, I, but if you believe that, then you're a bigot against the other nations because you won't let them in. That's not what it's about. It's about the fact that people are being hurt and injustice is happening and we are standing back and doing nothing. We stand for nothing. I can't believe you don't care about women's rights. I, don't, I, I can't believe you don't care about their choice. I care about women a lot. I am one, actually, believe it or not. Actually, I care more about the innocent one. And, and actually, if you will stop telling people that this is going to make their lives better, because it won't. Because I've walked through a lot of women who have been there and have been convinced that this is the best way, and now emotionally they are broken, and emotionally they are torn. But no, it's money. I told you I'm not political, but I'm telling you, our culture is telling us crazy, craziest crap things, and we've got to stand. We've got to stand for scripture, and we've got to stand for holiness, because we serve a holy God who needs to be respected as holy, and his people need to be respected as holy as well. You care about women? Then why are women more oppressed today than when they were when they were property for men? You care about women? You can't define women. We have no uniqueness whatsoever now in our culture. We're nothing. We've been dwindled down to undefinable. Oh, but culture is saying, no, 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 no. If you love them, they can define themselves. Sure as crap can define a man. It's just a new form of oppression. Women finally standing for themselves, beating culture, only to succumb to culture again in a new way. 
I'm sorry, babe, but you can't be me. Okay. Listen to this. I mean, who wouldn't want to be me? Okay. Just remember that. I'm just kidding. I feel like sometimes there's things that happen in this room that are, like, great, but they do not come across on Spotify as great. They're like, what is happening? <laughs> Just happening right now. Um, listen to this in First Thessalonians 1. So finally, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask you, we beg you to remember what we have taught you. Live a life that is pleasing to God as you are already doing. Yes, we urge you to keep living and thriving in that life. For you know the instructions we gave you, instructions that came through the Lord Jesus. Now this is God's will for you. Set yourselves apart and live holy lives. Avoid polluting yourselves with sexual defilement. Learn how to charge over your own body. Maintain purity and honor. Don't let the swells of lustful passion run your life as they do the outsiders who don't know God. Don't violate or take advantage of a fellow believer in such matters. As we told you before and warned you, the Lord will settle the score with anyone who does these things. Here's why. God does not call us to live impure, adulterous, scandalous lives, but to seek holiness and purity. If you ignore this message, then you are not only rejecting us, but you are rejecting God, the one who has given his Holy Spirit to live in you. I'm astonished at the idolatry in, 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 on the sexual side of things that, that is so rampant in every different kind of way. I'm not pointing out one way or the other. It's sickening. It's sickening to me. And I get it, man. I mean, we all have desires that build up inside of us. I get that. Man, God created us that way. But it wasn't supposed to be our God. We weren't supposed to offer ourselves and our bodies up to an unholy God. We weren't supposed to give ourselves away in defilement in that way. And I feel like that the Lord has just been stirring on this and stirring on this and stirring this on me. And not like it's even new revelation. Every time I say it, though, people just look at me like I'm weird. But he says, man, sex is an idol. Man, people offer up to the goddess all day, every day. Not just in one way, it's spilling over. It's spilling over, and it gets more perverted, and it gets more perverted, and it gets more perverted every day. But yet our culture will say, if you don't accept this, you don't love people. I love all people. I'm introverted, so I may not want to hang out with you all the time. But I love you. We always say this, this is our tagline, 
and we always say this, everyone, everyone, I mean everyone, is welcome to sit at our table here at City Point Church. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care what your belief system is or whatever. You are always welcome here with us. We include you, okay? We are inclusive, but not the way the culture says, okay? Because we say you can, you can sit at our table. But you must know when you come to eat that the word of God and Jesus is deciding what is served. That's true inclusion. That is true inclusion. When you say to someone or something, you are invited in. You're invited in. And we're not all perfect and we all struggle with things, but you're invited in. But know that the Lord is serving a meal and it's great and it's wonderful. And if you taste of it, you will see that it is good. But you must taste of it. The word our culture uses of inclusion and tolerance is asinine. It makes no sense. It's not true inclusion. It's you believe and say what I want you to or you hate me and you're a bigot. I told y'all I didn't want to preach this message. I said it. Take note, there are six things the eternal hates. No, make it seven, he abhors. This is in Proverbs. Eyes that look down on others. I think the church has done a fantastic job of thinking it's better than everyone else. The Lord hates that. He hates it. It says he hates it. A tongue that can't be trusted. One who grows around just telling stories, twisting stuff. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that conceives evil plans. Feet that sprint towards evil. And a false witness who breathes out lies. And get this. Anyone who stirs up trouble among the faithful. Now, a lot of times when I read the scripture, I think of, you know, those people who, like, can tear down a, a church in, like, a second, you know. Like, in, like, five minutes, it's like, and then all of a sudden everyone's fighting. You know those? I think of that person. But actually, no, not here. Because our culture has stirred up among the faithful and our culture has us fighting against one another. Who gave them the right? Who? Who gave them the right to stir up division among the faithful ones of the holy God? This makes me want to stand up and say, heck no. Worse than that. Something else. Hex to na na. That's what Judah, Judah says that. Hex to na na. It's time for the church to stand. This is the message of the Lord. 
It's time for the church to stand. It's, it's, it's time for his holy people to stand up in reverence, fear for the holy God. And here's our closing. If someone wants to get on the keys. Anyone, anyone that actually knows how to play. <laughs> this last point is we can be used to toast the Holy One again. You know, we were having a conversation with someone the other day, and I thought it was, it was really funny. He brought up Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you don't know this story in the Bible, it was a very, very wicked city, and God destroyed it with, with fire. It's terrible. And he said, man, you know, thinking of, like, prophecies and talking in the scriptures about, you know, when Sodom and Gomorrah rises, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And he said, you know what, I can't imagine, I mean, it had to have been because the Lord hasn't, like, returned yet, that Sodom and Gomorrah was worse than our culture today. I was like, thought about it, and I was like, well, yeah, man, maybe it was, like, way crazier. He's like, I can't imagine because our world is so crazy today. Like, I can't imagine. And then that was the rest of the conversation. We went on amongst ourselves, and I started thinking about it. You know what Sodom and, wow, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have that we do? He had... They didn't have righteous people willing to stand. Abraham begged, God, if I can find 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? God said, if you find 50 righteous people, I'll spare the city. Okay, God, I'm going to be so bold. What if I find 40, at least 40? If I find 40, will you spare the city? 40 people who love you and stand for you. Yeah, I'll spare the city. You can find four. Abraham begs with him, okay, God, I know I found favor in your sight. What about 30? What about 30? 30, anybody got 30? Anybody go with 30, 30, 30? No? Okay, no. And then he says, he keeps going, what about 20? What about 10? God said, if you can find 10 righteous people who serve me and me only, I will spare that city. And the city was not spared. He couldn't find 10 people in there. Not even 10. When the messenger, the heavenly messengers came. Do you know what the city wanted to do to them? Defile them. Sexually. It was gross. And do you know what Lot, Abraham's uh, nephew said? It grosses me out. No, 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 no. He understood they were having messages. No, 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 no. You don't want them. My daughters are virgins. Take them. Do what you want. Just to appease them. Wait, what? 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 The only people who got out of the city was Lot and his two daughters. And then the sickness kept going. Read the story. It's gross, all right? would not fly well here in our culture today. No, 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 not here. Not this generation. Because there are righteous here. 
there are those who stand for the holy God. There are those who stand against culture and they stand for something. And they're here. That's the difference. I told him, I was like, maybe we are just as bad. But we got holy ones standing up for a holy God. And we're still inviting his kingdom to invade our earth. We're still inviting heaven to come down. We are still choosing kingdom over culture. We are still, we're still standing for kingdom over comfort. Because we still care about him. We are in few, but we are strong. Because we refuse to be manipulated by our culture. And we refuse to be molded by our culture. And we refuse to be manipulated into saying that we are somehow bad and terrible because we want to stand for truth. Do you know what in 1 Corinthians it says that love is? It says truth. Yes, truth is love's delight. Not your truth, not my truth. Because those are opinions. Truth is love's delight. Truth is God's delight. And it's time that we stand. We can be holy again. 2 Timothy says this. In a large house there are articles. Not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some of them are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. I said that weird. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Those things that once were toasted, holy, but toasted to an unholy God can be holy again. And the master can use them. Again. The culture says we're fools. That's why 1 Corinthians 1 says, For people who are stumbling towards ruin, the message of the cross is nothing but a tall tale for fools by a fool. But for those of us who are already experiencing the reality of being rescued and made right, it's nothing short of God's power. One more about reverencing the Lord. It says this, Proverbs 10. Reverence for the eternal makes for long and peaceful life. But a wrongdoer will have years taken away. The hope of those who do right is joy and celebration. But the only prospect for those who do wrong is futility. The way of the eternal offers safety to those who love justice. But it destroys those who perpetrate evil. The right living will never have their land taken away, their inheritance. But wrongdoers will be uprooted. Wisdom flows from the mouths of those who do right, but tongues that twist the truth will be cut off.
lips of the right living will understand what is proper. But the mouths of wrongdoers twist and pervert the truth. Solomon was talking about our culture here. How did he even know? Oh, of course we know. Right. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a rhetorical thing. Notice this, people of God. We are called to love people. We are called to love all people. But we are called to hate evil. Do not let people twist and pervert truth to manipulate you into doing what they want to make themselves feel better. Scripture says there'll come a time where they won't like preaching of the truth. They'll only like what they want to hear and what makes them feel good. Rise up, people of God. Rise up, church. Kingdom over culture. Do you mind standing to your feet? Let me pray over you tonight. For those of you who don't know me, you probably think that I have a lot of anger inside of me. <laughs> I do not, actually. I made a promise to God that I was available for Him. Whether I liked it or not, He could use me. So, yeah, I've been sick to my stomach all week about it. But I know that I can be confident to know that. No matter discomfort, no matter popularity or how much I like people to like me, I like God more. I respect Him more. Let me pray over you. Jason will bless us. God, thank you for today. I'm humbled at what you've done, Lord. You, you called us to this city over two years ago. In our first interest meeting, I, I, I knew that you had called us, but I didn't even realize the magnitude of what you were going to do. And I find myself so humbled by it every single day. God, I pray for these people. I pray for these people when Monday comes. When Monday comes and they're told that they're fools for believing what they believe. I pray they stand anyways. I pray over them when they're told by culture they're hateful. They're terrible people. I pray they stand anyways. 
I pray that when conversations become uncomfortable, that they stand anyways. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Y'all, can we just honor Tiffany real quick? That was such a good word. It's a heavy word, y'all. It's a heavy word. Um, hey, you're here, dude. Sorry, I just saw you. I apologize. Um, can, I, can I say something real fast? I just want to affirm her as a woman, as a pastor. It's hard to preach heavy words, and it is. And the reason why this is so important is because it is the truth that sets people free. It's not your truth that sets you free. It is the truth that sets people free. Listen to me. I don't care how much you want your truth to be right. I don't care how much you want your truth to set you free. If it's not truth, it's not going to set you free. Do you believe that? It doesn't matter what the culture says. It's super important that we stand for truth. Great job, babe. You did an incredible job with that word. I mean that. Yeah, come on. One more time. Great job. Let me bless you guys real quick, and then, and then we'll, we'll go. Lord, I just pray you'd bless us and keep us. That you would make your face shine upon us. Lord, I pray that you would be gracious to us. Lord, that you would give every single person in this room favor, and you would give our families peace. In the name of Yeshua. We pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, love you guys. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week.